0: Amen, amen. Jeremy, thank you. Thank you, Jason. That was awesome. I feel like I owe you a little bit of an explanation as to what I'm doing here. (laughs) If you don't know me, my name is Nathan, and um, I'm a retired pastor of Cornerstone (laughs) from many moons ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but... uh, for my OG cornerstone family uh, you originals out there I was trained by buck oliphant so I can't get through any kind of public speaking <laughs> engagement without getting super emotional but just know I'm really strong too, like on the outside. In the gym, I will outlift you, so do not, do not be judging me based on the amount of tears that you will see today in particular. Why am I here? Six years ago, this church blessed Elisa and I uh, with an incredible endeavor uh, to go start a new church here in Katy. And um, I had really high expectations for what that would be like, what it would look like, how it would happen. And long story short I'm an idiot (laughs) I just am and it's okay and I'm embracing it but we did we went out and we started a church and God did some amazing things uh, despite of me and my arrogance and um, this past couple years have been really rough really hard just for a variety of reasons if you want to know all the details you totally can know them just buy me a bourbon and we'll sit down and I'll share with you all, all that you want to know and more but here's the short version I think that assignment that God had given us, had commissioned us to do, uh, it was over. It was done. So we decided around December, through an agonizing season of just prayer and solitude and trying to figure out, God, is this, just, is this just a really hard chapter or is the book over? And after that, come to the conclusion through the wisdom of other people and also just an internal sense, just felt like, yeah, this is done. It's over. And it's Okay. And so we have been in counseling. We have been seeking wisdom within the presbytery and, and uh, other pastors and just wise men and women uh, who have been uh, loving us well, caring for us well. And so we're okay. We are okay. We don't know what's next. And that's super exciting. But listen, I listened to a guy last night take vows to be a missionary in Pakistan where he had to vow before our presbytery, before men and women, publicly, that he would suffer unto death faithfully for the gospel. So put in perspective, we're doing really good right now. (laughs) I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Carter got us rocking last week with a new series on prayer as we participate with all of the Katy churches and really West Houston, actually Houston as a whole, is doing this prayer and fasting initiative for the next 30 days. uh, And we are joining forces with them. Because if there's one, according to Francis Schaeffer, if there's one apologetic that's undeniable for a watching world, it's the unity of the church. When we are unified, something blessed and powerful occurs. And so we are joining forces with them and concentrating on prayer and fasting, trying to fortify our own spiritual life, our own desire and trust in Christ, and also desperately asking Him to attack and to push back the darkness in Katy, in Houston, in Texas, and beyond. And you and I know very well the darkness is very much there. And it has its death grip on us and people that we love. And it feels like we can't do anything about it, but yet we can do something about it. We can ask the one who can do something about it to do something about it. And so that's what we're doing this week. Carter got us kicked off last week talking about fasting, so important. And so I'll trot along in his shadow this week as we talk about prayer. Let's do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for being a God who is loving and gracious and mighty and powerful. Lord, you don't promise us as Christians that life is going to be easy. You don't promise us that we're just going to skip and skate through life unscathed. And Lord, when we look at your son himself, when we look at the life of Christ, how could we determine that we would have any kind of different life? So Father, would you help us manage our expectations? And Father, ultimately, in times of joy, in times of hardship, would we learn truly what it means to trust in you, to be dependent on you? Father, you have given us such a great privilege to pray to you, to come to you, to, To come to you with those small things and with big things. What a privilege. Father, would you inspire our hearts this morning to love you more than we ever have. Father, would Jesus be the hero of the story that you're writing in our lives. Father, we trust you. We want to know you more. Because that's why you have made us. Father, would you be so kind as to meet with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the past several years, I've read really good books, some good books, some better than others, but my favorite was this one called On Paradise Drive, and it's written by a, 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 at the time he was a non-Christian columnist editor for New York Times named David Brooks, since he's become a Christian, which is a unique story in and of itself. Uh, but nevertheless, he wrote a book called On Paradise Drive, and the whole point of the book was talking about suburban culture, you and I. He was dicing and dissecting how we think about the world and how the world that we live in affects how we think about the greater world. You know, there's one common trope when it comes to suburbanites in particular, and that's really this. Americans in in general, suburbanites in particular, we are often pegged as being materialistic people, right? I don't know about you, but I have noticed an influx of Amazon trucks all the time (laughs) in the city of Katy. So there's a sense in which that is true. We like things. We like, we like gathering things. We like having things. We like when the Amazon box comes to the door. We like getting notifications that it's there. We like buying things. And that's true. It's just part of who we are. It's part of the, 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 the luxury society. But David Brooks does something really fascinating, and he asks this question. He says, why do suburbanites like to buy things? Why are we potentially materialistic? Is it just that we just like things? Is that it? Is it that simple? And he says, no. He says, the reason why we like to accumulate things is because we are obsessed with securing the perfect, the best future that we can See, we don't buy things just to buy things. So we're not necessarily just materialistically oriented to be materialistic. No, we're future oriented. We have an idea. We have a vision of what life could be like. And we think by buying that thing, acquiring that thing, getting that promotion, achieving this goal is going to somehow then forecast this potential future reality that we desperately long to live in. Now listen, at face value, there's wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom in thinking about the future and making actions and choices that would potentially put you on a trajectory to enter that future. There's wisdom in that. There's also a dark side to it. And you and I know it really well. Sometimes I don't think we can name it, but there is a dark side to it. What's the dark side? It's this. Anything whether it be something that I buy or pursue or a relationship, anything that doesn't seem to fit paving the pathway to that futuristic reality that I long for, we dismiss it wholeheartedly. Now, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, typically the things that go first are what we call in the church or what the Bible calls spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting. I mean, really think about it for a second. If you have this preferred reality that you're longing for, what good does prayer do? What does prayer trade for on the stock market? You know how 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 what percentage are you gonna are you gonna get back on fasting? You see, these things don't seem to be as important because they don't seem to place us where we want to go in the future, so we just throw them away. So I want to ask a really basic question this morning. And I need you to know also that this is a question that this is not theoretical for me. Like we have been through a very difficult season, to put it, in G terms, like rated G. You know what I mean. Like to put it in Disney, disney it. We've been through a hard time, right? You buy me a bourbon, I'll tell you how I really think. So this is not, this is this is not theoretical for me. This is very personal, and I have seen the beauty of it. and And it started with me asking this 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 question: Does prayer matter? What good does it do? Does prayer work? Because if it works, we have got to incorporate it into our lives, or at least consider incorporating it into our lives at a larger capacity than we, than we do. And if it doesn't, who cares? If it doesn't work, who cares? Let's not, let's not worry about it. In Mark chapter 9, Mark is going to address this through the eyes of a father who's facing a potential, no, no, I'm sorry, not a potential, who's facing a problem where his knowledge and his effort will not resolve the, the problem. He is at his wits end and you and I know that situation very well you and I know what it's like to face problems where our knowledge about the situation or our efforts just won't fix it we know that very well and if you don't know that I'm so sorry you will know it very soon it's never a matter of if it's always a matter of when so this father is facing this issue this problem and the only thing he has is prayer. And the question is, does that prayer work? Does it matter? Let me ask the Lord to help us one more time. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. Father, help us understand the glorious things that you're showing us about yourself and inviting us to do through prayer. Because, Lord, spoiler alert, prayer works It does work, but Lord, would you convince us of that? In your name we pray, amen. Starting in verse 14, Mark writes this, "And And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him and greeted him. Jesus comes down, all of his people are coming to see him now. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and he grinds, his teeth, become, his teeth become rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I love that line. This is Jesus as John Dutton as you're going to see him in the Gospels. If you don't know who John Dutton is, I cannot help you. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into the fire, into the water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast him out? And he said to them, this kind can only cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I'm going to tell you something that you already know. In fact, I've already said it. But every problem, not every problem, can be solved with our knowledge or effort. We find ourselves frequently with problems that neither intellect nor strength are able to overcome. This is what is the case in this particular event that's occurring. Jesus has been just at the supreme version of youth camp on the mountain with James, and John, and Peter when he showcases his divinity everywhere, just showing his splendor like the sun. And then he comes down from that holy moment to this crowd that's arguing with all these people. And he's like, what in the world is happening? What is going on? And in verse 16, he says, what are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? And then a figure emerges from the crowd that is absolutely at his wit's end the father emerges from the crowd and begins to show the boy, tells Jesus about what's happening to the boy. Now, listen to me. I know, and you know, that all of us have encountered problems like this. Maybe not to this magnitude, maybe greater than this magnitude. But we've all encountered problems and we can sympathize with the father. I think one of the things Mark is doing is he's showcasing just the the sheer torture that the father is undergoing in this situation where he can't do anything about the situation of his son. He tells us, Mark tells us, that the father's been watching his son being abused perpetually by this demonic presence for a very long time. The demon makes him unable to speak. He harms him in unimaginable ways. We're not told how the demon first appears or why the demon first appears, but Mark makes it incredibly clear that the demon has been having his way with this boy for a long time, and the father has done nothing, could do nothing, but be an innocent bystander to the situation. Can you imagine? Some of you can. There is no pain. There is no pain being a spouse or a friend or a father and watching a loved one go through pain. It's worse. It's excruciating. It's painful. And this is where the Father is. Now, I need to take a time out for a second because I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking, and I want you to know it's a valid thought. Listen, it's 2023, uh, right? Yeah, it's 2023, okay? Right? Uh, The elder millennials are running the world now, you know, of which I am one, right? Like, do we really believe in this, like, demonic realm angels you know dark elves in the sky you know unicorns like it's can we really be intelligent people and believe in in demons and angels and things like that can we really do that now listen that question is a valid question and some of you are thinking it and you know what good for you and if you ever want to talk about that in more detail I'll find someone more qualified than me that I can hook you up with and, and we can talk about it. So it's outside the scope of what we're doing today. But let me just say this: Number one, that's a valid thought. It's okay to think that God is not scared of your doubts or your skepticism. It's okay. It's all right. At the same time, listen to me. Mark is not writing a fiction. He's not writing a fan fiction. He's not writing. He's not writing a fairy tale. He's not talking about leprechauns and unicorns and things like that. He's writing an actual historical account that really occurred in real time, in real space. So don't get too boggled down with, is demons really a thing? That's a great question. It's valid. Let me validate you. It's great. You're thinking. At the same time, that's not the point. Don't miss the point. Mark's point is this father is in an excruciating, painful position watching his son being tortured by this demon. The father has a problem that is absolutely outside of his control his knowledge or his effort cannot resolve this issue and that's mark's point when several years ago now well i guess right before right before we shut down so i guess what was that 2020 i was working on my computer and i didn't have my headphones in this day which was was bizarre because if you i'm sure you guys can hear how loud it is in my house on a daily basis right because it's just so loud it spills out everywhere but i didn't have my headphones in and and thank god i didn't the kids were playing around in the living room, and I heard someone climb on the couch, and I heard someone jump off the couch. And then I heard the most excruciatingly painful sound I've ever heard. Have you guys ever heard a head hit tile? It was like Gallagher City up in there, you know, with the, with the, with the watermelons and stuff. It was bad. It was awful. So I get up, frustrated, because I'm right in the middle of doing something. i got to go now tend to this child who's on the floor. So I get up, I go in there, and it was Lane's laying down on the floor, eyes closed, not moving. And here this, is, here, this is the Father of the Year award, right? I think she's joking. I think she's just being dramatic. I'm like, Lane, get up. Like, I've got to finish this sermon. Get up. So I'm saying, Lane, get up. She's not moving. I'm like, Lane, get up, dude. She's not moving. So finally, I, 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 I bend down and I realize, no, no, this is serious. She's completely unconscious. I scream at her, Lane, get up! At this point, I'm freaking out. So I scream for Lisa. And I knew, I knew not to move her too much. I at least knew that. But I knew that we had to get her in the car to go to the hospital. So as I bent down to, to pick her up, just blood started spewing out of the back of her head. And in that moment... Finally, she did come too, but she wasn't able to see. She's rushing to the hospital. Or at least to take her to the hospital. I'm freaking out. I'm trying to gather the other kids so we can go meet her there. I have never felt more powerless in a situation. There was nothing I could do. There's nothing I could say. I couldn't talk my way out of it. I couldn't be strong enough and, and resolve the situation. Like, it was a nightmare. And I continue continue frequently to relive that nightmare. I'll just start thinking about it randomly, just just start crying, because it was such a terrifying moment. Have you had a moment like that? Have you been in that situation? Maybe not with a child, maybe with a friend, maybe yourself. I mean, listen, friends, all of us have experienced problems where our knowledge and experience were not enough to solve the situation. Now listen, I want to ask your permission to do something because I want to pry a little bit. I want to pry because I think this is really important. For some of us, those impossible problems or situations, it's not just like a past thing. It's actually our present right now. You know, some of us are going through situations that that are just incredibly excruciatingly painful and difficult. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how strong you are, nothing seems to resolve the issue. So these things aren't necessarily past experiences, but they're present realities that we are still struggling with. Some some of you, for instance, are dealing with chronic illness. And it just won't go away. There's not an amount of medication that solves the issue. There's not an amount of doctor wisdom that solves the issue. It's just there, and it won't go away. For some of you, you work so hard and you do such good work for the companies that you work for. And you just can't seem to get ahead. At the end of the month, you're always in the red. And it's not due to lack of effort. It's not due to lack of knowledge. It's just, it's just this problem that is overtaking you on a daily basis. Some of you, I mean, you're struggling with the decisions that your little and also your adult kids are making. You're watching them choose past that are not going to be beneficial for them and you can do nothing about it. Oh, sure you can try, you can share your knowledge with them, you can share your past strengths with them, your current strengths, but what else can you do? And some of you, some of you even though you are polite and you are sweet and you work hard, you still find yourself having to defend and having to watch how people interact with you, surely because of the color of your skin. And that's real. And that's the world that we live in. And that's a problem. These problems are looming over us on a daily basis. Can we identify with this Father? You bet your bottom dollar we can identify with Him. That's life. Welcome to a fallen world. But yet, hang with me, but yet... When all hope seems to be lost, when that father is begging the disciples to cast out this demon to help him in this situation, when that father is begging the scribes to help, all hope seems to be lost because they can't do it, but all of a sudden, someone descends into the scene. Jesus himself shows up. And when he shows up, he finds out the situation and says four words that have more authority and more power and more hope than anything else in the cosmos, he says, bring him to me. I told you, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. Not all problems can be solved with your knowledge or your effort. But there are no problems that God cannot solve with his knowledge and his effort. Look with me at verse 20. They brought the boy to Jesus. Or excuse me, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire, into the water, destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. Jesus says, if you can, challenge accepted. All things are possible for the one who believes. Now, there's a couple things I want us to observe about the interaction between Jesus and the Father that I think are really important and helpful, not just for the situation, but also for our own lives as well. The first is this. Notice, Jesus is not afraid of the Father's problem. This problem is literally ruining the life of the Father. For Jesus, He's not intimidated. He walks straight into it. In fact, He makes... The father's problem, his own problem. He enters into that space. The second thing that's so fascinating to me is that he doesn't immediately alleviate the situation. Now we hate this part. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me put, I'll put myself on the chopping block. I hate this part. I want Jesus to. Come. If I'm in that crowd, I'm saying, look, Jesus, I've seen what you can do. We've seen your stats sheet. We know how you operate. Get in there and do something. Stop talking about it. Do it, <laughs> right? But somebody does. He has a whole conversation with him, and in fact, he is doing something. What is he doing? See, the issue is not whether Jesus can cast a demon out. That's not the issue, right? That, that, that Jesus has already proved himself that he can do that. He can do greater things than that. This is this this is the minor league compared to what Jesus can do. That's not the question. The question is, does the Father have the capacity to believe that Jesus can do it? You see, there's a big difference. There's no doubt whether he can do it. He's allowing space where the Father has to completely and utterly abandon all of his knowledge and strength and depend on someone greater than him. Jesus is creating that space. How is the Father going to respond? Now, I think it's vital to realize in Jesus' response that he, he says, All things are possible, not all things are guaranteed. See, we want God to operate in a certain way, right? Listen, I know. I'm preaching in the choir here. We've, all, we've heard this sermon before, but it needs to be said. We want God to operate in a certain way, right? And nine times, that, I'm sorry, usually never does he do that. Ever. Why? Because he's a mean, scary God? No, because he loves you and wants more for you than you want for yourself. Man, he is trustworthy, and he is good, and he is faithful, even when we disagree with what he's doing. He's always motivated by being infinitely perfect, infinitely loving, infinitely just. And man, that doesn't, make, that doesn't make it easy. Please don't hear me putting a bow on it saying, that makes oh, this, oh, oh, thank you so much, Nathan. Now my problem is so much easier. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is we've got to train our hearts to really believe that. To really believe, God, I don't know why you are handling this situation in this way. I don't know why this problem is still here, but man, I trust you. Because I know that my problems are your problems. And that you have the sweetest way of putting yourself in my problems. See, that's the thing. See, Jesus is in our stories. He's in all of our stories. But sometimes, he's in the corner of the scene. He's present But sometimes he doesn't immediately alleviate. He's standoffish sometimes. Creating space so that we have to cognitively decide, I'm not going to trust in my own strength. I'm going to solely depend on you. And man, that's hard. And it's frustrating. But there is a sweetness. There is a beauty to that. That we we can't learn in any other way. We want him to immediately solve it, but he doesn't. All things are possible, but they're not guaranteed. And it's guaranteed that God's not going to solve the situation necessarily the way in which we want it to. Now watch how the father chooses to respond. In verse 24, immediately, the father child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Dear Lord, what a marvelous prayer. I think personally, this is my favorite prayer in the Bible. As someone who just at at heart is a skeptic, like this has been my constant prayer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He prays this, and I think this is 10 trillion times stronger than the most eloquent of prayers. Why? Well, a couple reasons. One, it's honest. He's just being honest. He's done everything that he can. He's tried to rely on other people, and now he's come to the source, and he's still having a hard time trusting Jesus. Help me. Help me trust you. Secondly, it's coming from a place of utter dependence. And the other thing about it is that it's rooted in an object that's able to solve his problem, who's able to stabilize him in the midst of the problem. Right? Christianity, uh, being faithful, having faith, praying, it's not about the quality, excuse me, it's not about the quantity of those things. It's about the quality. What God is after is your heart. He's after my heart. He is after us being dependent on him, even when that looks messy. Being honest, rooting our faith in something that's so much stronger than us is the invitation that the Father is given in this space. And he responds in the most honest of ways. Help me. Lord, I want to be there. Help me. And then Jesus does this thing. And what I want to, what I want to point out is this. In verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out, and the boy was like a corpse. He looked dead. And then most of them even say, he's dead. But Jesus takes him by the hand and rises him up. See, it's only after the father expresses his broken, very human, creaturely dependence, even though it's wavering, even though he's, it's not, it, you know, he's not like this superstar follower of Christ, but it's honest and it's real, And God honors that, and he acts on his behalf. Now listen to me very carefully. Like wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're you're not a Christian at all, like wherever you are on the spiritual journey, like Mark is inviting us to see something really beautiful, and that is this. This is why Jesus came. He came to break Sin, he came to destroy the evil forces that threaten us from flourishing. This is why he came. He came so that you and I might experience true and utter freedom. And you know who knows that the most clearly in this text? The demon. When the demon sees him, he responds. Why? Because the demons know that one day they will be utterly destroyed. All tears will be wiped away. All sorrow and sadness will be gone. The presence of the demonic will be banished forever. They know that, and they're afraid. They just don't know when it will happen. But guess what? We do know when it's going to happen. Mark knows when it's going to happen. See, because not long from this event, the evil agents that are torturing this poor child are going to also torture Jesus himself. You see, he's, because the question is, how in the world is he able, how is Jesus able to save this boy from the demon? Like, how? Have you thought about that before? How is how, how, how Jesus just, just able to do it? How does he save the boy from the demon? How does he solve this problem for the father? And he does so by inviting that same demon to come and torture him. The demon leaves the boy, and at the right time, Mark says, It comes to Jesus as he he is beaten, as he is mocked, as he is cussed out, as he is belittled, as he hangs on a cross and he dies. He saves the boy from the demon by trading places with the boy. But he doesn't just do it for the boy. He also does it for us. He does it for you and me. That's what Jesus has come to do. Let me circle back to our original question. And it was this, does prayer work? Does it really work? As the event comes to a close, Jesus is with the disciples, and they're irritated. Because if you look back, just at Mark chapter 6, the disciples are casting out demons. Right? This is a practice that they were doing. like They were doing it before, but now they can't do it. So they're like, Jesus, what in the world is a problem? And how does Jesus respond? He responds by saying, this kind This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Does prayer work? Yes, it does. It does. In fact, there are some situations, there are some problems that you and I will face. Some of you are facing them right now. Some of you remember problems that you faced in the past. There are some problems that you and I will face that only can be solved with prayer. That's it there's some problems that can only be solved with prayer. I'm partially over my time, and I know some of you are watching your clocks, but if you'll be so patient with me, here's how I want to close this, okay? Because we can talk about prayer all we want. I want us to pray. And the way I want us to do this is this. I'm going to lead us in a sh- very short, very short, don't freak out, a very short time of just guided prayer, okay? So here's what I want you to do. And this, this is... This is not the only way to pray. I'm not saying that at all. This is just something that I have learned to do over the past year or so, and it's really helped me to become more dependent on God, and I just want to share it with you. Is that okay? Here's what what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes for a second and just take several deep breaths. Just calm yourself. Now, I want you to think back through the passage, particularly the actions of Jesus, and I want you to pick one out that maybe stood out to you. Something that's praiseworthy about Jesus. Maybe it's his compassion. Maybe it's his power. And just spend a few moments and just just thank him for being that way. Now with your permission, I want to ask you to do something really hard. Okay? Keep breathing. But I want you to think about your big problem. I want you to think about The thing that keeps you up at night. The thing that you have to arrange your calendar around. The thing that's just irritating and frustrating to you right now. The thing that makes you cry the most. And I want you to think about how it makes you feel. And I want you to take those feelings and thoughts, and I want you to tell God about it. In your own way, no one can hear you, It's just you and God. Next, I want you to be honest. And I want you to think about ways in which you have been trying so hard, either through knowledge or through just sheer strength to conquer that problem. Think about all the things you've tried, all the ways you've done, all the ways that you've excluded God from this particular situation. And I want, you, I want to invite you to do something hard again. I want to invite you to confess. Tell God. Tell God all the ways that you've been trying to solve this problem without Him. Just confess it. If you've trusted in Christ, I have some really, really good news for you. And that's this. That the way... Because of the substitution of Jesus on our behalf, because of his death, the way that God looks at Jesus is the same way that he looks at you. He looks at you in the midst of your problem, and he says, you are loved, and I am so pleased with you. Would you just spend some time just thanking him for being so gracious? Father, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for prayer. Man, what a privilege we get to pray. It's so basic and it seems so simple, but it's so powerful. And it's the only antidote to some problems that we will face in life. So, Father, might you teach us good habits of praying. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It it just needs to be honest. Lord, teach us to depend on you through prayer. Father, I pray for all of my friends and family in this room. Father, I pray for Cornerstone. I'm so thankful. Lord, would you just bless the pants off these people this week. We love you, trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.